Welcome back to the Jill Bennett Show. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer filling in for Jill as she takes on the morning show this week. And I'll be with you tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's Saturday. I'll be with you Monday as well on the Jill Bennett Show. Some good news now, an update on a story we had earlier this week. Yeah, it's like it, it's really unfortunate, but people deal with this sort of thing every day. So I'm not really looking at my situation any differently. Um, but it's been really the community support has been kind of surreal. Um, I didn't expect any of that. That was Connor Callahan speaking on CKNW earlier this week, sounding so cool, calm, and collected after his pickup truck was stolen on August 21st while he was fighting the Christie Mountain wildfire. We have Connor on the phone now. Connor, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. And you have some good news about your story. Yeah, the the RCMP in Kamloops called me yesterday to notify me that they had recovered the truck. Ah, oh, what a relief, eh? Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have the truck, you don't have the keys in your hand, the truck is, is not back in your possession yet, is it? Not quite yet. I think the police have to do their own investigation, followed up by uh, insurance that investigation, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know really, really know where it goes from there, but hopefully uh, not too long. So what happened? Where did they find the truck? Um, they didn't, they just said Kamloops and that uh, someone was in possession of it, so that person's now arrested with possession of a stolen vehicle, and that's kind of all the information they gave me. Geez, it must be a relief, though, to have this vehicle back because, you know, not only do you need the thing to get from point A to point B, but this truck, it was also your dad's truck previously, correct? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's been in the family a little while. Ah, such a bummer to have, um, let's call it a family heirloom stolen. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So the truck hopefully soon will be back in your possession once again. That additionally is a relief because you're a student too, right? Yeah, uh, last year of school this year at the UBCO. Fantastic. What are you taking? Uh, mechanical engineering. Oh, okay, right on, right on. So you'll have the truck now. You'll be able to get you know from point A to school. And being a student, it can be tough when tuition costs are high to be able to buy a new truck. Yeah, tuition costs are high, and so are the price of the new truck. So I'm pretty thankful that this is hopefully going to get returned to me. Now, what about the other items that were in the truck as well? Because you're a student, you're going to need your laptop, you're going to need your iPad. All that stuff was stolen as well. Uh, yeah, I believe all that was stolen. Uh, they haven't uh, updated me on kind of any of the contents yet, but uh, it'd be a it'd be a long shot if they were still there. Yeah, but with courses online this semester, you're gonna need that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I already bought a new laptop. It's on the way, so uh, yeah, we'll see. Ah, perfect. You're prepared. Now there was actually a GoFundMe campaign as well set up by your siblings to help you out too. Yeah, there was. Um, I think my sister shut that down now. Um, I think we're going to wait to see what insurance does and, and what's covered and then uh, kind of go from there on what, what we do with those funds. What's the first place you're going to drive to when you get your truck back? Go for a little victory spin somewhere. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> kind of <laughs> depends on the week. I feel like my schedule is pretty set for the next little while, so probably just to where I need to be next. Yeah, I guess so, eh? You're a, you're a man of few words. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, not at all. I'm delighted for you that you got your vehicle back. It's a great relief, I think, to a lot of our listeners who were following your story and and thought it was such a bummer that, you know, here's a guy who's a firefighter. He's out trying to do some good in this province. You're out battling the Christie Mountain wildfire and your truck gets stolen. It was it wasn't a great news story, but I think we're all pretty happy for you that your your truck has been recovered. Yeah, I'm uh, very thankful for that, and I'm very thankful for the community and everyone who's kind of helped. It's been pretty incredible to see. Well, that's a part of it, too. Didn't you say that there was a really, I mean, the GoFundMe 
campaign is obviously a part of this as well. But you said there was some really great community support assisting you. Yeah, people were uh, kind of messaging me all the time asking what they could do for help, whether it was like a place to stay or or a, a car or something. Um, yeah, and then someone on Facebook had messaged me. They'd seen the news article, and they, they actually spotted the truck first in Kamloops. So that was, I think, a huge help in terms of recovering it. Yeah, no kidding. And didn't originally you think that perhaps it had ended up in Maple Ridge, was it? Uh, we thought it was in Mission just in because Mission. Uh, one of my devices on Find My iPhone was located there. But uh, I, I would assume that maybe some of the devices were sold and, and, and mm-hmm. ended up there. But uh, yeah. And I mean, you've re- replaced the laptop now anyways, and you've replaced some of those other items. But do you think there's any chance that you'll get those back? Uh just have to wait and see. I have no idea, to be honest. Yeah, you don't sound too worried about it anymore, though. It sounds like there is a bit of relief in your voice that, uh, you know, at least you know where the vehicle is. And like you said, you're set up now with that new laptop anyways. Exactly. Right on. Well, Connor, I'm so glad that your your truck will soon be returned to you once again. And there's a good news ending to your story or soon to be an ending. And thank you for battling those wildfires as well. What was that experience like for you? Uh I've been doing it for a couple of years now. It's uh, I, I enjoy doing it, and you know it's kind of uh, all in day's work there. A man of few words who actually has an incredible story to tell, Connor Callahan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. This year marks the 101st anniversary of the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. Certainly been a memorable season, although not for the reasons that the performers or fans expected it to be. But now this very unusual year for the VSO has come to a close. Tomorrow will be the final performance of the season for the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. Neil Middleton is the Vice President of Marketing and Sales with the VSO, and he joins us now to talk about what tomorrow's show will be. Neil, thanks so much for chatting with us on this Friday afternoon. Happy, very happy to. Excellent. Maybe we can look forward to the last show of the season by looking back on the season that was, which has been a very unusual season for you guys. But overall, how has it gone? Yeah, it has been such a roller coaster. And we, uh, right before COVID-19, were celebrating um, uh, the 250th anniversary of Beethoven with a Beethoven festival, multiple sold-out concerts. We'd had a string of sellouts in January and February, and there was so much energy and excitement about what was happening at the symphony. And then we had to stop these live performances and uh, it really threw a wrench into our plans like it did everybody's plans and we had to quickly figure out what to do and our musicians came forward and said we just we just want to play we just want to play for people in whatever way we can and we started this series of digital performances and at first we were we were doing the cell phone videos from home that we were editing together um, that evolved quickly and we started doing small chamber performances from um uh, our concert hall from Pyatt Hall at our VSO School of Music, where we could safely, in a socially distanced manner, have three, four musicians and a videographer. And those started to create some really beautiful, compelling concerts. And we, we created this VSO at Home series, uh, which we launched in April. 
And we have done eight of these concerts where where the audience is invited to tune in. Um, usually Maestro Otto Tausk introduces them. We play three or four pieces, and you really have a concert experience. You can put it on the big screen. You can play it over your home um, stereo system. And people have really enjoyed it, and it's been a way to stay connected. It's been something we could do for the community in this very challenging time. We, you know, we haven't put a ticket on it. We've asked people to donate, but it's free and open to the world. And um, that plus some other special... Uh, videos, including um, a Beatles cover of All You Need Is Love that included some of the uh, frontline workers. We had doctors and nurses and care home workers who are musicians who joined us and played with the with the VSO musicians that just went viral and around the world. Uh, we've racked up a half million views of, of these performances in the, in the last five months. It was something that we never expected, but you have to make lemonade out of lemons and... Um, the digital the digital world is is where we can make that connection. Yeah, I watched one of the online performances from home. It was the Father's Day performance, and I was able to watch it in my parents' backyard with my parents. We had the laptop set up, and it really was. It was a beautiful, moving experience where we even got a glimpse inside of the performers' homes, and we got to meet some of their families as well. It was a really unique way to get to know the VSO. This is the thing, you know, normally when you come to the concert hall, there's a bit of formality there, there's a bit of a process, and the musicians are on this stage, and you're not invited onto the stage, and there's a little bit of a separation there. Uh, it delivers an amazing musical experience, and you're right in the heart of it, but you don't necessarily get to know the people in the same way, and that's been the surprise for us in this digital era. We can, we can have little interviews, you, you get to know the performers, you're getting to know their families, we've had a lot of... Um, uh, children of the VSO have been guests in different ways in some of these performances, and it, it gets very personal and very close, uh, which is surprising. You know, digital really can connect us in a way that is meaningful and complements the live. We, we can't wait to be doing live again and have an audience, so there's an energy that you can't replace. But there, there is something really powerful about these digital performances that we're really grateful that we're able to do them. Mm-hmm. So we know that there's no in-person concerts right now, but can we get any hints as to what next season will hold? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of hard work being done right now. Uh, Maestro Tausk and musicians are really trying to figure out um, exactly how it'll work and how it'll come together. So I can't, I can't reveal anything yet. Uh, they, it would be unfair to them as they're really putting the pieces together. But in a couple weeks, we expect to, to make some pretty big announcements and we'd love to, to take you through it at that point. Fantastic. I won't make you break the vow of silence now. <laughs> uh, and for the performance that's coming up on Saturday, your last performance of this season, what can fans expect? We're, we're going to have a few different um, pieces, some different styles of music. We're going to play some, some music that's from the 20th century um, by, by composers Maczynski, Shostakovich, Martinu. And we're also going to play some gorgeous uh, folk music. Um, there's a set of string quartets that were arranged by um, a quartet called the Danish String Quartets. And uh, a quartet of VSO musicians have been, have been recreating these and performing them. And they're just beautiful. So you're going to hear some, some winds. You're going to hear duets, trios, um, quartets, uh, but it recorded in Pyatt Hall, which is, which is a lovely recording space. So we get, you get really good audio. Like, it sounds really great. And um, um, 
you, you, you get right in there with the musicians. So it'll be lovely performance, but an hour of music, maybe maybe 40 minutes to an hour of music, and uh, 7.30 p.m. on Saturday evening. And the, you can you can get the details on our website. We're going to live stream it on Facebook and YouTube, so you can you don't have to have a Facebook account. You can find it on our YouTube channel. Uh, and it's, you just you get there at 7.30 and press play, and you don't have to do anything else. It's pretty easy. Um, it, we do uh, ask people if you're able to, you know, every bit of support we can get right now is really important. We aren't able to sell tickets, which is a huge part of our revenue. So we ask people to consider buying a virtual ticket as a make a donation, $20, 35 $50. Um, very helpful. We've managed to keep the musicians employed through this period, and we're, we're working on how we're going to keep that going for the whole season. Um, huge challenge for us, not being able to have uh, ticket sales. But um, we're, we're getting there, and with the support of the public and the, our donors, um, we're, we're, we're figuring it out, and we're going to make it happen. Neil, thank you so much for chatting with us today, and best of luck with the final performance on Saturday. Thank you very much. Should Vancouver nightclubs be closed during the COVID-19 pandemic to stem the spread of the virus among young people? Now, this is a conversation that I'm sure that you've probably had recently. I know it's certainly a topic that we've discussed quite a bit here on CKNW. And there are a lot of people who say that they should be shut down during the COVID-19 pandemic to stop that spread, especially among a younger generation including an organization called the Coalition of Vancouver Neighbourhoods. In an email earlier this month, one member said that Bonnie Henry is being overruled by, quote, our political rulers, and they say that all bars and nightclubs should be shut down. Joining us to defend why nightclubs and bars should stay open is local historian and author Aaron Chapman. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me aboard, yes. Now, you're a guy who knows a lot about the Vancouver nightlife scene because you've written about it extensively. Yes, I, uh, I my most recent book, I've, I've written a number of books, especially sort of focusing on, on the nightlife and entertainment history of the city. Um, but... You know my my, uh, my position in terms of the the uh, the email that ki- that came from uh, one of the members of um, of the CVN of the Coalition of Vancouver Neighborhoods, and I should say that my problem really isn't with the with the Coalition of Vancouver Neighborhoods. It's not an official email from them. This is a me- this is an email from one of their members, but it 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 got my ire because if this is what the CVN is busying themselves with, these sort of wild postulations that there's some sort of conspiracy with the, the, the you know, the, what, what Dr. Henry is saying, or, or just, the, just the, the outright ban of shutting down nightclub businesses altogether, I think is kind of really irresponsible for a couple different reasons. One, the bar and nightclub industry has pretty been on the vanguard and doing the most in terms of trying to adapt and trying to bring in uh, social distancing guidelines and make things work and still stay in operation. And two, I don't think people, you know, really have a full appreciation how bad the and the outlook and the, and how grim things are looking for, um, you know, venues and bars and nightclubs and some of the places that are involved in the concert industry in Vancouver that are, that are venues and theaters and cinemas. Um, so to call for an outright ban like this just seems really irresponsible to me. Yeah, you know, it's funny when the pandemic was in, well, it still is in full swing, but earlier, mm. maybe let's say a couple months ago, when there was a lot of attention on 
let's say, exotic dance bars. Let's call exotic dance sure, bars. Sure, yeah. Uh, and, and Simi, Sarah, and myself had a lot of conversations around, you know, should they be closed? And then I spoke to a dancer and a sex worker advocate who said, hold on a second here. There isn't necessarily more cases at exotic dance bars than there are at restaurants or, or grocery stores or anything else. What the issue is here is that there's a stigma that these venues are somehow dirtier than other venues, whereas those mm-hmm. are the types of venues where typically you'd actually see workers trying to be more careful with sanitation. Exactly. You know, yeah, there were those a couple of, uh, you know, notable incidents that got reported in the media, but also what's what sort of failed, the, 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 the email that, that went around that failed to sort of underscore was, uh, as Dr. Henry saying, a lot of these incidents more often in, in the not, it seems like right now, are coming from, you know, gatherings of people outdoors or in certain situations where you have a mix of, of too many people together in one spot. You know, the, the bar and nightclub industry has really done, a, I thought, a really good job of, of being able to, to bring in responsible health and safety regulations uh, and still be able to operate with lesser capacities. Often, you know, there's only sort of one way in and one way out, and they're not letting people sort of mingle as much. And every, you know, every place is different. Some places are doing it better than others. But, you know, this this kind of call to sort of shut everything down like this is going to kill uh, the city for so many venues. I don't think people have a full understanding of, of how tough it is, even for some of the larger venues. While most people might think, you know, some of them, their neighborhood corner bar or some places might be on the uh, might be in a tough spot. You know, some of the bigger concert venues, which have no income right now, are, are, are struggling, too, and, and really toughing it out that, that it, the prognosis doesn't look good. So it just seemed to me that this uh, sort of outright call like that was was not the kind of thing that, that I would want to see, or I don't think most Vancouverites would want to see somebody advocating for. But what about people who say these venues have to be shut down because we have to stop the spread of this virus? There's going to be some losers here, and that might be business owners, business owners of these venues, but that's the cost of trying to operate in a pandemic. Well, there's two things there. I mean, first of all, you know, while most people who say that also sort of think, obviously, there needs to be some maybe some compensation or some some kind of financial assistance coming to them. None of that is being tabled and none of that is being, you know, offered and whatnot. Um, So that's that's not forthcoming. Um, I think, realistically speaking, as, as much as we're doing right now and how everybody's very geared to to for, for all these regulations and safety we're for the next foreseeable future it seems like we're going to be dealing with these incidents and these occasional spikes uh and whatnot especially in the summertime i actually think it may go down uh this fall because people are going to be back indoors again you know so realistically we're going to have to deal with some of these some of these spikes and what's also important that that seems to get ignored that i that i know dr henry has, has actually emphasized is that when you look at the numbers, these aren't numbers necessarily worth panicking over. We should be concerned, but these are the hospitalizations not haven't necessarily risen significantly. There's been very few deaths and whatnot, and if it is seen to be affecting a certain part of the population, it is affecting some younger people, uh, but not necessarily the the people at risk, the older folks that we did see in the beginning. So, it, it's it's maybe I'm maybe a glass half full here, but I think working with that. The, the the call to simply shut simply shut down a whole sector of, of the business uh, of the of the entertainment business especially when when the you know the email says that it, it's a relatively limited sector of the economy I think is also really 
uh, really negative and really irresponsible because I think if people have a full appreciation of how many people are employed in this industry, not only from the bartenders and servers or your doorman or some of those people you see, but some of the behind-the-scenes people, especially in the concert venues, some of the technical people and whatnot, uh, the musicians themselves. This is a huge industry within the city, and and, uh, I don't think people have a full realization at hand if they call for something like that, what it means. Well, and I think there's a part of the conversation here, too, around the potential loss of culture. And you're a Vancouver historian, so you've seen many nightclubs come and go over over the many years that Vancouver has been a bustling city. How does a culture change when a well-known establishment closes? Well, you know, there's so many cases that of, of almost every generation in Vancouver can cite a favorite place that they used to go to that isn't around anymore. Um, you know, I, I, I get into the, many of them in, in my book, Vancouver After Dark how many people of a certain generation remember the cave or, or Izzy's or those great sort of nightclubs, oil can Harry's. They had such great names for nightclubs <laughs> back then. I wish they had them today, but you know, there's so many of those places of that generation, but there's newer ones too, that people more of my generation miss like Richards on Richards mm-hmm. or the town pump or the starfish room or Graceland. So to a certain extent, the nightclub industry is always changing. It shouldn't be treated like a museum that should be preserved. You know, there's, there's a reason why places come and go and there's and, and a reason for that. But you know, to think that some of the big venues in town, this is the Commodore Ballroom, the Vogue Theater, you know, uh, th- these places that are they're not that are not civic theaters that the city can that owns and holds onto, but are operated by private businesses and are, and have to answer to rents and owners and things like this, you know, that that uh, the call to shut down an industry outright that isn't isn't responsible thinking. I I, I, I suggest. Aaron Chapman, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. A few moments ago, we heard from author and historian Aaron Chapman, who made the argument as to why bars and nightclubs should remain open in this province during the COVID-19 pandemic. And as he highlighted, they have been hit hard financially. I think that's something we can all agree on, of course, regardless of whether or not you think that they should be able to operate or not during the pandemic. But one way to help those businesses is a new outdoor pop-up concert series in Gastown, which has been launched. The goal is to help local artists and businesses during this very financially difficult time. And to speak to us more about it is CKNW contributor John Jang. Hey, what's going on? Hey, good afternoon, Nikki. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So tell me about this Gastown Unplugged series. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think most of us agree that we are uh, big fans of live music, delicious food, and a nice tasty drink. It is Friday, so I don't think that shocks anyone, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the weekend, and we want to feel pampered after a long, busy week that was. Well, this new uh, pop-up concert series is happening to try and promote businesses again in the Gastown area because, as you know, there's a lack of tourism. So I had a chat with Mark Bryan. He's the general manager for the Porthouse Restaurant who helped organize this whole new event and really find out what exactly is Gastown Unplugged. Yeah, Gastown Unplugged is an awesome initiative, and it's really done a great job of building a sense of community in Gastown. Um, I know a lot of what's going on right now with the pandemic has been quite isolating for people, and and there have been a lot of challenges for business owners. And I know I've had a lot of fun actually working with Water Street Cafe across the street from us to uh, to bring this music series to our street corner. Um, the lovely thing about the series is that it kind of leads people on uh, a trail through Gastown. So you you get off the the SkyTrain at Waterfront Station and you come along and the first thing you see is Water and Richard Street and you hear this music and it kind of pulls you in and then suddenly you're in charming Gastown and then a little further down Water Street, you've got Canby uh, where we are and there's another 
little bit of live music happening there and a little further down at Abbott again, and then it ends at Maple Tree uh, Pop-Up Plaza, which is a lovely pedestrian-only uh, area, and, and it's just created a great ambiance, actually. I mean, that sounds great, and I love the fact that this is a community-created effort in order to bring back business to the Gastown area and, and just the importance of supporting those local businesses during a time like this. I think it's it's so important, uh, and it's, it's been very encouraging. Uh, I know that now that people and businesses have had a lot more time to really get a handle on how to best keep our staff and our guests safe, um, more and more places are adapting. Uh, I know, like, we, we just outfitted our entire bar with uh, partitions and beautiful custom-made um, wooden dividers that we can basically seat anywhere from a solo person to a six right at the bar and, and you're completely distanced. You're in your own um, little little haven there to enjoy your cocktail. Through. We've got these little peekaboo doors for the bartenders to give you their drinks through. Uh, and it's been really well received. And I think people are seeing that more and more as they go out. Every time I go into a shop, uh, I notice more protocols being taken. And I think it's really from this community, from us all sharing our best practices with each other and, and really coming together not only will this help the local restaurants and bars and stores of Gastown, Mark, but you detailed that it's a live music pop-up series. So what do you think this will do for the relationship that you have with the musicians that are currently looking for work? Uh, it's given us a really close relationship with a lot of the artists and musicians that have performed here. And, and we know from talking to them that it's, it's been really hard. Um, and this Unplugged Music Series has managed to find a way to bring music back to the area in a safe way in an outdoor setting for everyone to enjoy and for these artists to have an outlet. My well-placed sources have told me that you also have a musical background. Is there a chance, can you confirm on the air right now, that Mark Bryan will be playing music during Gastown Unplugged? <laughs> uh, actually, I, I do have a music background. I studied music at UVic and um, our previous uh, assistant general manager. Uh, that's where she and I met, and she was the one who was running the music program before. Um, she's since moved on to our uh, sister restaurant, Farina Pizza on Main, uh, to kind of do her own little thing there. Um, but uh, you won't see me uh, You won't see me on the mic anytime soon. I kind of leave that to the more seasoned jazz professionals. Four House has quite a, quite a penchant for jazz, soul, R&B, um, that kind of stuff, and it's a little out of my wheelhouse. Fair enough. Uh, we won't push that any further. But maybe, just maybe, there is a chance. Uh, Mark, also give us some details on something else that's happening in Gastown, where you've taken the idea of Happy Hour and sort of expanded on it. What is Happy Day? Yeah, Happy Day started with the, the question of, like, why should happiness only be restricted to a few hours of the day? And, and we were thinking of, of ways that we could really, you know, present something to the community and to our, our guests that would be wonderful in a time like this. And we thought, hey, why not all day, all day happy hour? Um, so it's not only the restaurants in Gastown, it's, it's some of the shops too. Um, if you go to at uh, my Gastown, which is the BIA's Instagram account, you'll see the full list of shops and vendors and restaurants that are all participating. Um, everyone has something to offer on Thursdays here. Uh, we're doing happy hour all day. Uh, we've also got two-for-one desserts going on as well. Um, so it's a, it's a fun little time to kind of sneak in and, and start your weekend a bit early. 
And who doesn't love that? Uh, when it comes to Happy Day, for you specifically, Mark, and the Poor House, what can people expect uh, if they want to go and check it out next Thursday? Yeah, for us, it's um, anytime you come, like from open to close, we've got our full happy hour offering. I mean, our, our Poor House burger is is legendary, and, and during happy hour, it's it's quite reasonably priced at a lovely uh, under $20 there. Um, we've also got our Negroni, which arguably is one of the best in the city. Uh, that's sitting at $11 right there. And with our patio, it's one of the nicest ones. We've got a lovely white picket fence motif going on. Um, and it's a great time to just sit and enjoy the steam clock. Okay, so you've got Gastown Unplugged for the live music. You've got Happy Day for the great deals at restaurants, bars, and stores. Mark, it seems like the big word to describe all of this would be discover to learn more about the businesses involved and to maybe rediscover your love for a typically very busy area. Gastown has a rich tapestry of uh, of offerings. We've got everything from restaurants to bars to uh, now Patio Town being one of the largest per capita patio places in all of the city um, to go and enjoy. And that's really wonderful about enjoying Gastown right now is that there aren't really many tourists. Um, so it's given locals a chance to really take back the area and, and come to appreciate uh, what otherwise would be a hustling, bustling uh, mecca of tourism. A sentencing hearing for former Red Scorpions gang leader Jamie Bacon was held today in B.C. Supreme Court for his role in the Surrey Six murders. A woman who spoke in court today is Eileen Mohan. And Eileen joins us now. Eileen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Nikki. Eileen, you lost your son in that Surrey 6 shooting years ago, but that pain, I imagine, will never, ever leave you. And you spoke today in court. You faced Bacon and you told him about what he did to your family. How did that feel? You know, I waited for 13 years to do this, and it felt almost so very complete. Um, I wanted everything I wanted to say to him, I, I said to him, and I got to look at him right into the eyes. And it was a good feeling. When you looked him in the eyes, what emotion did you get back from him? Did, did he seem upset at all by your words, knowing what he's done to you? No, he gave me a very blank stare in return, um, almost eye to eye, like, you know, two people just locking their eyes together. And um, he didn't blink, he didn't look away, he didn't look down. Um, It was, I I don't know what to read about it, but um, I stared into his eyes um, Every time I referred to him, you know? And what did you say to him? What were your words? I said to him that one should always choose life over death. And, and um, I, I said to him that because you chose death for Christopher and and um, I, that is why my son is not here in this world. Christopher 
was not part of your crime family. We were an innocent family, free of crime. And because of your crimes, my family and I and Christopher are lost in this world without Christopher. And I got to tell him that, um, that, um, you know, he should, uh, that as he's pondering um, uh, what to do with his life, he will return back into his mother's arms and and enjoy all the assurance and love and uh, all the favorite anniversaries and birthdays and uh, and um, um, Christmas dates with his mom. And whereas I will have to wait for the Lord to take my soul in order to meet my son. Eileen, and I, yeah, no, no, please go continue. And uh, and I and I and I told him that he had no right to choose death for my son because he was not part of our family, and no, and that by choosing death for my son, uh, he is responsible for the death of my son. And I said to the, and I told um, uh, the judge that since the death of Christopher, Christopher does not belong to me legally. Christopher now belongs to the law and courts of our country. So I am asking the same laws and courts of our country to judge equally as you have judged Mr. Bacon. Mm-hmm. I am seeking um, justice for my son. And our country, Canada, is all about equal rights. And I sit here and I humbly ask you to judge equally for my son. And I know we all hope that you find that justice. Eileen Mohan, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Nikki. Appreciate it.